Book One The Puzzle Chapter One I tried to work again this afternoon, going upstairs to the attic in the cottage which I had made into a study, but from my window I could see the sky, quite blue, almost balmy, for the first time this year, after months of damp and grey, light fluffy clouds sailing over the small hills of this part of Oxfordshire where I have come to live. But I was impatient again for something I couldn't touch, something that was surely happening somewhere out there in the world at that very moment, as I sat at my desk, thumbing the typescript of the book on the British in Egypt, which I'd been working on for the past few years. I'd started to read again my chapter on the Suez debacle and its aftermath, a period I'd lived through in Cairo twenty years before. But the writing seemed cold and irrelevant on the page, so far removed from the blazing heat and anger, and yet, for me, the love of those years. The smell of lime dust and urine and burnt newspapers sweeping up from the back streets of the city. The rumour of sour bread and burnt kebabs that they cooked on a barrow at the corner of my street by the Nile, rising up in the baking air past our open bedroom window, where I lay with Bridget through the hot afternoons, doing the one thing we did so willingly and well then. I was impatient for that, perhaps, or something like that again, some dangerous reality and not this studied history in a calm world, the Cotswolds where it seemed I'd been asleep for many years. I'd felt like Mole all that day, Mole waking on the river bank that first real day of spring, coming out into the light on the water, after the bad dreams of winter, getting his house in order before setting out on his long adventure. I was not yet tired of country life last Christmas, but now that spring had come and some nameless cure took place in me, boredom had begun, nibbling away at my days, making each of them several hours too long. The mornings were all right when I worked, and most afternoons when I journeyed over the small hills, but the evenings were difficult— there was no pub in my village, while the one three miles away was empty on weekdays and full of television playwrights and producers at weekends. Sometimes I watched their work on the box at home in the evenings, and that was worse. The village, quite lost in the folds of high sheep pasture ten miles or so beyond Woodstock, was more than attractive. That quality alone would have ruined it years before. It was inviolate. A manorial hamlet, almost all of it still owned by an eccentric army officer, the last of his line, and rich beyond the dreams of avarice, so that he had no need of weekenders in his village or modern bungalows. And more, before I came, had once taken a shotgun to some intrepid London house-hunters he had found admiring a ruined cottage on the edge of his estate. Nearly all the tied cottages on the single small street had their doors and gable-ends painted the same shade of very sombre blue except for mine, a neo-Gothic red-brick cottage behind the church, not part of the Major's empire, but which had belonged to the local sexton and I had bought from the church commissioners. There was a unique fourteenth-century tithe-barn by the manor farm with arrow-slit windows, while the small church with its dumpy Anglo-Norman tower and ochre-coloured stone was a wonder in slanting sunlight and considered perfect of its kind. But I am no rural chronicler. The Bartons, a colonial family, came to live in the old rectory shortly after me. I fell out with them one evening over sanctions in Rhodesia, 
and have barely seen them since. The Major and I have never met at all, but I am not alone in that. He is not a social man. The vicar, a persistent and over-social Welshman, now from another village, bearded me several times early on, believing me to be a television dramatist and suggesting I compose a Christmas mask based on the career of a local seventeenth-century divine, whose voluminous and uncollected papers, he told me, were available somewhere deep within the Bodleian Library. I disappointed him, I'm afraid, though I still sometimes go to church. The place has a very simple whitewashed nave, with the original brick showing through on the window corners, and old pine-box pews that smell of candle-wax. I chose this village specially, nearly four years ago, for its isolation, when they retired me, after the fracas with the KGB in Cheltenham. McCoy had seen it differently, though.